Trash, The Final Frontier. Welcome to the bridge of the Starship Cheese Sandwich for Strange New Pods, a podcast miniseries covering strange new worlds. I am your Captain Justin, and joining me on our away mission are my science officer, Anna, and xenoanthropologist, Jude. Jude, Anna, what's the worst way you think that you would personally start a war? Uh, hmm. I would <laughs> hope, I would hope that it would be through belligerently arguing with an alien, but I think more likely based on my behavior on this, on this, uh, mini series and on the bad pod that it would likely because I hit on the wrong alien. Oh, I thought it would just be, it'd be setting unsolicited dick pics. <laughs> no, I have class. It'd be requesting tentacle pics. There you go. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, oh gosh. Show orifice. And here I was, Jude, thinking that you would make a Taco Bell joke. <laughs> it would be for offering them Taco Bell. <laughs> there yeah, we go. War crimes. They think it's biological warfare. I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it'd be me starting this war so much as my cat, um, who whose new goal in life is to fill the floor with Lego. Ah, there you go. Okay. Um, yeah, and w- which is. A war crime. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is, yeah. I believe that is recognized by at least one of the Hague Conventions. Mm-hmm. So we are here. We are at the season one finale. We're not going to talk about how late it is because um, <laughs> that's every, fine. We, we decided to take turns taking vacations. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> fine. We, we literally all took them in sequence. So not at all uh, well scheduled. Yes. But. So you're, you're listening to the only episode since. September 2020 of Bad Pod, where we do not have any episodes of the can. My God! Wow! Wow! We need to we need to get on that. I we, mean, we can't. We, we're like, gonna. We can't make <laughs> jokes about our extensive backlog anymore. We had a different president the last time we didn't have backlog. <sighs> I'm speechless. <laughs> that president is now being uh, just had his. Uh, had his golf resort uh, raided by the FBI. So, you know, that shows where we've come. You love to see it. it. It's been a long road getting from here to there. Fuck you. And we've we've only driven Zathras to like one, maybe two nervous breakdowns. Yeah. I feel like that's lazy on our part, frankly. Yeah. Um, We can do better. It shows how far that it's been since we last recorded that I literally forgot to write down the writers and directors for this episode. <laughs> wow. Um, but yeah, tonight we are covering season one, episode 10, which is our season one finale. A Quality of Mercy, which was written by Henry Alonzo Myers and Akiva Goldsman, directed by Chris Fisher. Guess who has this one? Oh, it's me, because we're referencing one of my favorite original series episodes. Um, take it away. Thanks, Time Crystal. Me. <laughs> We're off to a great start. (laughs) Carry on. Our episode starts with Pike cooking for Captain Winona Earp as they talk about repairs to the Romulan neutral zone's warning outposts. They talk about the Romulans, who no one has ever seen before, and that Captain Battelle, fine, I'll call her by her real name, has a rendezvous for an assignment further down the neutral zone. Later, during uh, a meeting with Outpost 4's Commander Ocelot, Pike meets the commander's son, Maat, who's incredibly excited about growing up to be a Starfleet officer. Pike recognizes the name. He's one of the cadets who dies in Pike's accident in the future. Pike decides that he just can't let the future happen. He hasn't met one of the names on this list. He decides to write a letter to the young boy, warning him of that day. But a voice warns him of meddling the future. Himself. Oh my god, it's an even more silver-foxed Pike, dressed in an (laughs) admiral's uniform, who tells him he is there to warn him of a worse future. After confirming who he is with the story of a pony named Sir Nasalot, um, <laughs> the older Pike shows him the consequences of his actions with a time crystal from the Klingon monks on Boreth. Cut to the Enterprise, Stardate 1709.2. Wait, I know this one. I know this one. Captain Pike is officiating a wedding. 
Pike is saved from the embarrassment of not knowing the happy couple's names by a red alert. When Pike arrives at the bridge, Commander Spock tells Lieutenant Uhura to brief him. Outpost 4 distress signal is warning of an attacker, and Ortegas, who is a little bit more aggressive than usual, believes it is the Romulans. Pike divulges the situation to Spock in private, and Spock realizes what is happening. Spock suggests they continue the scenario as Pike normally would to discover what is wrong with this future in this scenario. They reach Outpost 4, and they are warned of a disappearing attacker that used a tremendous plasma weapon. The ship reappears and destroys Outpost 4 before cloaking and hiding and slinking away. The USS Farragut uh, arrives as backup, and their captain, James T. Kirk, hails them. They start working together, using gravitational detection, to shadow the Romulan ship while waiting for Starfleet's permission to engage. Sam Kirk warns Pike that Jim is a bit of a wild card, and Spock is able to intercept a message from the Romulan ship, which shows a view of their bridge showing that... That Romulans look like Vulcans. Cue the original series music stinger. (laughs) The staff discuss possible actions, weighing the cost of war and an attack against the bird of prey. Uh, Captain Kirk suggests that if they are allowed to return to Romulan space without challenge, they will see it as a sign of weakness. So they decide to use a comet to try to pin the bird of prey to attack and neutralize it. However, when trying to track the bird of prey through the comet, they don't see the bird of prey. Instead, it decloaks behind the Farragut, disabling it with its plasma weapon and damaging the Enterprise. The Farragut's survivors are beamed aboard, and Pike goes down there and sees that Lon is among the survivors. Lon makes reference to Una being imprisoned as well. Kirk, right, Kirk rages at Pike for showing caution in the situation that they could have had that ship. Spock summons him to the bridge and explains that the bird of prey is leaking trilithium and maybe is not able to make it back to its home. However, the Enterprise's weapons are non-functioning. Lacking options, Pike hails the Romulan ship. Pike tries to reason with the Romulan commander, suggesting a brief ceasefire to make repairs and bury the dead. The Romulan commander agrees, and once the communication is cut, the commander's sub-lieutenant, sub-commander, decries his weakness. Um, and there's a lot of talk about the morality of that and what and what that is. We're skipping over a lot here because this was already approaching a bad pod level summary. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on the Enterprise, Spock goes to supervise the phaser repairs, and Kirk takes the shuttle to get some form of reinforcements. As the two hours conclude, Pike kills the Romulans and tries to offer his hand in friendship, but is rebuked when the Romulan reinforcements arrive. Bum, bum, bum. The Praetor of the Romulan Empire hails Pike and asks for his surrender. Kirk returns with a fleet of unmanned mining craft, bluffing that the Romulans wouldn't know what Federation ships look like. The Praetor has the Bird of Prey decloak and break formation. She orders the ship destroyed, and the commander of the ship lets Pike know that in another lifetime, he might have called him friend. Pike asks the Praetor why she is willing to break a century of peace, and the Praetor scoffs and thanks Pike for showing how weak the Federation is. The Enterprise barely escapes, just as the Romulans declare war. The ship is badly damaged, including the phaser array, where a badly wounded Spock is shown in sickbay. Pike returns to his cabin, where he speaks with the older Pike, who reveals that not only should the war have never happened, but the last best hope for peace with the Romulans and Vulcans is Spock, who must live. While still in the future, Pike speaks with Kirk and learns a little bit about him. After speaking with Jim, he returns to the present day via Time Crystal, where he deletes the letter to Mott's Osala and decides to look up Jim Kirk's record. Captain Battelle's ship hails them with a priority message from Starfleet Command. When Captain Girlfriend beams over, she fucking arrests Uda. God damn it. This is not how you get invited for whatever that was called, like spaghetti surprise or whatever. <laughs> um, Pike promises this isn't over. Captain Earp apologizes, and that's the season. Oh Boy, that's an episode. It's, yeah. That's what it is. Pasta mama, not spaghetti surprise. Uh, well, he had promised making Asobuco as well, which I, I love Asobuco, and I bet Pike's is just fantastic. I just want Pike to cook for me. Is that weird? I, I, no, no. It, it's, no. It's really... I. It's not. I it's would, not even like a sex thing. I just. I just want him to cook. I mean, it doesn't have to be. I mean, it's a little bit of a sex thing. Here, <laughs> it's a little bit. I mean, it's. It's more like it's like yeah. I want. It's like I want dinner, coffee, and like in depth and meaningful conversation. 
I mean, breakfast too, but yeah, no, we're on the same page. I, I would like to note. I would like to note for our listeners that we. So not only did I rewatch Balance of Terror, and Justin, did you rewatch it as well, or do you just have that memorized? I I ran out of time, but honestly, it, it's like it's. I wouldn't say that it's burned in my memory, but it is. I would say like gun to my head if I had to pick a favorite episode, it will it will be Balance of Terror. But we we also forced Jude, who has never seen the episode, uh, to watch Balance of Terror. Yeah, I watched so I watched uh this episode and then I watched Balance of Terror and then wa- rewatched this episode. And I have to say, uh I have been slowly making my way through Anna's recommended Trek episodes and um mixed results. I think Let's go yeah. with. I will note that many of those episodes I didn't actually recommend. I just told them. I just told you that they were memorable. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disparaging <laughs> your recommendation. Your recommended list. I, sh- I should have clarified. I didn't that. say that they were good. Just memorable, <laughs> which is fair. The episode with the uh, the the horny abominable snowman, really a standout. <laughs> that was a real zinger. But Balance of Terror is a legitimately banger episode. It's so good. It is so tight. It's well shot. The only thing I didn't like about it, there were two things I didn't like about it. Very yeah. tiny things. One is the fact that the two crewmen's getting crewmen getting married was a uh, an officer and one of his one of the people that reports to him. Yeah, which is weird. And like he makes explicit reference to that, like it's cute and not like. An uncomfortable yeah, that, that power. hasn't aged well. Awkward. And then the other thing that hasn't aged well in my eyes, and I may get like keel hauled for this, is what's her name? Anything with Yeoman Rand? Yes. Yeoman Rand. Now, mind you, I'm watching these episodes like higgledy piggledy. So I have not like picked out a thread of plot, if such a one exists, explaining what the fuck is going on with Yeoman Rand, except that she just like randomly simps up to Kirk in stressful moments and is just like lingering in his quarters asking if he wants coffee. I don't understand what is going on. Like Yeoman Randy, am I right? This is actually, that's actually her last appearance in the original series. Well, good. Uh, I am (laughs) not about Yeoman Rand, but otherwise, I I mean, and it, it, it speaks to this episode that like, these are relatively, they're not trivial, but like yeah. comparatively, compared to how to the rest of the episode, it is so well written and mm-hmm. it doesn't even matter that the that the, the uh Romulan ship looks like the the storage room at an office max. And it doesn't matter that they look like they're wearing garbage cans on their heads. It doesn't matter <laughs> that the subcommander on the Romulan ship is the hammiest actor in the bunch. It's so good. Everything about it is good. And what my favorite thing about it is something that I think you called out a lot when I first started watching original series, that Kirk is not the the caricature that people think he is. Yep. I suspect that William Shatner created that caricature by being William Shatner as he got older. Yeah. But Kirk in the show, especially in that episode, is a fucking boss. He is right on that and i get why people thought kirk was the shit watching that episode because he he yeah. outplays the crap out of that like just he's just on it and watching that and then watching the new episode and watching how our daddy pike is himself and is his best self through the, the that same sequence of events and what happens as a consequence and then watching the way that kirk and he interacts with kirk and that weird scene with with him and Sam Kirk, um, I totally get your the point you were making about the way the sort of modern perception of Kirk is not accurate, mm-hmm. I don't think, to yeah. Kirk in Balance of Terror, certainly, because he's a stone-cold badass in that episode. I, I would classify it also as, like, along with the original series miniskirts thing, mm-hmm. right? Like... We have like we watch it now and we're like, wow, they're wearing like mini skirts, like how demeaning and slutty. But that's not what it was. Like we it's like perceptions change and a lot of like it's it's like soaked into the cultural yeah. whatever. You can look at it now and say, that's not great, 
but you still have to take into account the context in which it was done. Yeah. It wasn't done well, the to... the context in which it was done was that the, the miniskirts were, like... That was um, popular at the time. Forward thinking. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like, like I, I, this is... Funny enough, this is the thing that was recently touched on in X-Men fandom. Uh, with, like, Jean Grey infamously wore, like, has, like, a costume that is just, like, it's a green mod dress. And, like... Mm-hmm. You know, and and there's been a whole lot of talk about it. But at the time when it was done, it was like, oh, yeah, that's hip. That's fashionable was like a popular look. But people hate it now. Yeah. yeah, What which I don't want to get into that where. But it's (laughs) yeah, it's the same debate. And yeah, I think it's I think you're right. I I get what you're saying. Totally. And I like the way that like Rebecca Romaine, like sort of I want to say like recontextualized and reclaimed like that look. Oh, yeah, I absolutely love her air quotes miniskirt look and the way that they've modernized mm-hmm. it to do to basically be like a tunic and leggings, which like looks comfy as fuck. Right. And that was the that was the point of the original miniskirts is that like you could move around with them. They weren't heavy and it wasn't like, you know, you were just being put in pants to be like look just like a man yeah. that you, you know, you could re- retain your femininity. Yeah. And and like, you know, the the modernization of that of being like, yeah, like, you know, a comfy tunic and like some nice opaque tights like that's a comfy thing to wear. So with regards to this episode, now that I've sort of like said my bit about balance of terror, it's hard to talk about this episode without like talking about balance of terror. Well, yeah, it's because I mean, yes, I think the if you had a episode where you wanted to compare it to. It would honestly be that this is because this is an this is an episode that's directly in conversation with Balance of Terror. Yeah, and you can't not talk about it. Yeah. Um I mean yeah. in some ways it's like another episode that is directly pulling from an original series episode, which is Trials and Tribulations. Mm-hmm. It's like the yeah. more serious version of that. Yeah. And instead of like doing what they did with like the original film and stuff and time travel, you know, there's time travel still involved, but instead here it is showing what happens when the person making the shots changes and all the ripple effects, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I also think it's a perfect way. I I mean, you, you just have to give so much credit to the writers of this episode because what a perfect way to combine to say look how much we fucking love star trek in the best possible way while also taking the theme of this season and saying okay and in the highest end in a sense all season we've been sort of in conversation with pike dealing with his future we've been touching it yeah. as we went along and we're gonna we'll come back to it maybe but we're done pike has embraced it this is, yeah. we're, we're going to put a cap on that. Yeah. And those two lines intersect in this episode so gracefully. Even when you're talking about a time-traveling version of himself using a Klingon time crystal. Like, the most Star Trek wibble-wabble bullshit, but it just works. It's so tight and clean, the way that those themes wrap together. Having yeah. Pike walk through this iconic episode, having him realize that his what his place is and having him reflect on what his role is and how he can best live his life mm-hmm. and this gets into the theme thing we had a we had a kind of back and forth oh, in our my opinion in our in our in our uh notes document <laughs> about what the theme of this episode and season yeah, is i think that that's something that like we can talk about once we yeah. i just finish talking about the episode i i love how well it, this episode sticks that landing yeah. It's a terrific piece of television in general, but I think uh, uh, in terms of Star Trek goes, I think it's incredibly gracefully done. Yeah. One of the things I like as well is I think it really gets back to what we were talking about last time when we recorded like five months ago or whatever it was. It was actually just a few weeks ago, but it feels like yeah. that where we were talking about like, you know, how do how do we mesh with the fact that like, you know, we're portraying characters who will be different in the future. Yeah. And I think that they did a really good job of having, like, the Spock that they have in the future is both genuinely the Spock that we've been seeing all season and also, mm-hmm. and also 
okay. future Spock. I want to talk about something in, in the first scene with Spock in, in, in the future. Does it seem like he's a little bitchy towards Pike? Absolutely. It sounds like that they're still pissed. It, it, from what it, it feels like is like Spock, like Pike did something that Spock is pissed about. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Pike's and like, I, why are you being mean to me? Yeah, because he's like, Lieutenant Uhura will brief you. And I'm just like, the fuck? I called out in my notes that both Ethan Peck and Pretty Face make Vampire Diaries, who they got to play Kirk. Both of them, I mean, we've we've complimented Ethan Peck all through all these episodes for how how well and increasingly well uh, as he dials in his version of Spock, how well he manages to get the essence of Spock and the new like the some of the the nuances of of. Uh, expression and motion just sort of call back to Spock mm-hmm. and this episode, especially watching them back to back, really, it's just remarkable the way that he has found that groove with Spock. And I thought yeah. that Preface did a obviously a less polished job at that, but I liked his energy as Kirk. He has that same. It's he's got this. He's got like the spirit right. That's. That's what it is. It's like it's not necessarily like the mannerisms. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say yeah. like the intensity. Yeah, he he hasn't really dialed in like the mannerisms of of Kirk, but he's got that intensity, that like that certainty. Not like he knows what's right, but that like confidence that like I'll get there. I like that. I like that. I think that's an important part for what I've seen of Kirk. That seems very. That seems like an important aspect to him to to sort of get get right and i think they did that yeah and and i hope that we see more of him supposedly he's going to be cropping up more in season two his appearance in in this episode was like a surprise uh because they announced his casting for season two and not for this episode (laughs) so one thing i want to like i sort of talk about is like i think it's a very popular trope in like time travel and alternate history stories is like the horseshoe of like for lack of a nail the horse didn't get chewed for lack of a horse you know, but I think what this is instead interesting is showing like, what if you, I, what if you have somebody different in charge at a major crisis moment? And I think it is interesting because we've talked about before the idea of peacetime and wartime leaders. See every discussion we have had about, uh, fucking, uh, John Sheridan over the course of season four and five, and bad mm-hmm. pod and i i like we, and we've talked about this before is like that pike is a peacetime explorer yep and while, while kirk isn't kirk isn't a warrior or he isn't like he isn't a warmonger he doesn't always like he wants to expect the best in people but he is more than willing to he he's willing to keep an open hand in friendship while at the same time reaching for a phaser yeah I would phrase it maybe that um, Pike is a diplomat while Kirk is a tactician, too. Yeah, I was going to say a version of that. I was going to say that Pike is a a leader and Kirk yeah. is a warrior in the sense. Pike is a leader. Kirk is a commander. That's a good. Yeah, I could, yeah. I'm a, that's a good way. Of, I think that's a good differentiation, I think. And that ties into kind of I think that we talked about themes in this uh, in this season, in this episode. And one of the themes I think that. Uh, I'm not going to dive right into that, but one of the things that I think that really typifies uh, Pike is that they show him in the kitchen and they all the time, which we love. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that they constantly show him is is his familiarity with his crew and the joy he takes in his crew and their accomplishments. And that's a much different, it's a much less militaristic uh relationship he has with his crew than Kirk has. Yeah. Kirk, it's not that he doesn't care about his crew, but he is much more like emotionally isolated from them. Like he knows he knows all of their names and like cares about them, but he's he's not yeah. he's not integrated yeah. into their lives the way that Pike is. Yeah. Pike's Pike's daddy. He's the ship's dad. And Kirk's boss. Well and I think I think Justin honestly really nailed it. He's the commander. Like you can be friend. You can, you know, the commander might know your name, but that doesn't mean he's not the commander. Whereas Pike, 
is there might be a blur, yeah. a blurred line there sometimes with certain people. Chris, where is he? Pike? Is he the captain? Is he Chris? Like, who are you talking to there? And I think that's part of what makes him successful. And that kind of gets into, I think, where he where he ends this episode. I think what Pike takes away from this is that his success, a successful life for him is not one that keeps going or beating the odds. It's the way that he impacts people, the, the, the role he has in other people's lives. He is going to be a part of Spock's life and he is going to en- enable Spock's journey. And I think the, the way that he touches all these other people's lives is a big piece of that. And I think that ties directly into the the last scene of the show where we see Una being hauled off. And yeah, I think he's not that part of why he won't let that sit is Una's one of his people. Well, and that actually ties into uh, what we see of Pike in original series as well in the menagerie, which is that Spock is so devoted to Pike that he is willing to like break every law in the book, steal a ship and risk like being put to death to to save him i mean like look at discovery yeah uh when when that all happens again and i absolutely believe that this version that the strange new worlds version of spock would hijack a ship to take chris to some weird planet so that he could live in a mental holodeck <laughs> yeah live in a mental holodeck to escape this this fate that he thinks is his destiny. I 100% believe that. Yeah. One thing I, I, I do that, like, think about, like, also is, like, something that's been sort of repeated throughout this season that I think we finally get to here with Pike and how he, res- how his season-long arc results here is about the acceptance of loss. Mm-hmm. Whether it's Mbenga with his daughter or Pike with his fate here, accepting that there are things that either have to happen or are going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. And with that, do we want to pivot to talking about kind of the season themes? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So so one of the ones that I kind of honed in on was specifically thinking about Hammer's fate and thinking about how so many times during the season, we have had variations on the theme of essentially Pike interacting with the concept of the the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. Mm-hmm. You know, that Hammer sacrifices himself. Um, we have the the kid on Omelas. We've got... Now I'm blanking on, like, all of it. <laughs> I mean... Well, his own... Yeah. I mean, yeah. His own fate. You've got... And I, I think, like, there are ways where it's shown that, like, that thinking can be toxic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's... Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's not... I don't think it's a th- theme that the show is advocating so much as it's one it's that... It's interrogating. Pike is engaging with. Right. It's interrogating because this is what Pike is, is staring down the barrel of. Like, is this the fate that I have in front of me? Is there a morally acceptable way for me to play around with this? Uh, and... Uh, my sort of rebuttal to that was that I thought that the theme that I think the show is trying to sort of show Pike engaging with is his value in the, to the people around him. Like I talked about, um, that scene with, with Spock at the end where he's trying, where he's basically like doing, saying like, I love you, bro, uh, to, to Spock without, without like giving away everything he learned on his crystal trip is I think a real nice summation of him saying like, this is what, this is what I can do. I can lift up all these people around me for the time that I've got. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's interrogating the theme of the needs of the many versus the needs of the one. Um, But I think that the, 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 the idea that, that Pike walks away from the end of this season with is that, is his role with regards to uh, in relation to other people. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I think mine was like just that acceptance and loss there with like themes of it. Of, and I mean, and even in duty, like the, the, even the Romulan commander who shows how, Oh yeah, I got to do this. You know, fuck it. Fuck it. We're going to do this here. Y'all let's fucking talk about Diane Dwayne's Romulan series. 
Fuck yes. <laughs> um, so these are entirely non-canon because all Star Trek books are non-canon, um, except for the one uh, that Andrew G. Robinson wrote. Um, uh, because that's the only one that is incredibly gay. Um <laughs> Wait, really? All Star Trek books are non-canon? Uh, they're, like, it's basically that there is TV canon and there is EU canon. And, ev- and like, basically it is nothing from the books is considered... Okay, no, the best way to describe this is that there are two wikis. There is Memory mm. Alpha, which, if you look it up, that is for basically everything on screen for Star Trek. And that is considered, like, alpha canon, basically. Mm-hmm. That is the accepted canon of Star Trek... Though there will be, like, there are some semi-alpha sources which are, like, technical, like, behind-the-scenes books. Yeah. And then there is another site called Memory Beta, which includes all of the books and stuff. And because there is no, there's nothing like, there to bring it to a place of Star Wars, because, of course, um, yeah. there's no such thing, there's never been anything like Story Group for Star Trek. It has been entirely uh. shoot from the hip, do whatever the fuck you want. And like sometimes, sometimes the shows will like reference stuff that yeah. happened in the books, but it's always an Easter egg rather than like yeah, there's... this thing has been established. Yeah, and and I imagine they'll also like wildly trample over things that the books have established. Correct. Yeah, the biggest thing that's been brought from book to TV canon is Una's name <laughs> and the fact that she okay. was genetically modified. That's probably the biggest thing that was brought from. No, book no, to no, TV. no, no, no. If if we're talking Diane Duane, the biggest thing that's been brought from books to canon is fucking Cetacean Ops. Oh, right. oh yeah, yeah, because that's a, that's also I mean, yeah, that was that was originally in, no, that was on screen. That yes, was, but like that was TNG like season three or so. Wait, was it? Hold on, I thought that that was a I thought that that was a Diane Duane creation. Um, I am looking this up now because this is it's in a first season TNG episode in background chatter, and it's on it's on like a couple screens um there so so is it are is it like canon that there are just like decks with whale officers that are just never shown dolphins presently um no yep. they are shown in lower decks but not i mean putting aside lower decks <laughs> but we're supposed to believe that every ship has fucking dolphins and whales on it not all of them not all of but them. many ships have dolphin and whale Some officers and we're it's just never come up in any of the live action shows Voyager has dolphins on it and they've just like never brought it up. I believe it's I believe it's you've you've got to have a ship above a certain size mm. and they're done like deep space deep space exploration vessels because the I believe the canon reason is that cetacean I'm not sure whether it's supposed to be like dolphin aliens or uplifted cetaceans ever because the like they're very sketchy on this because they're like we don't want to imply too many things about the world building here but it's supposedly out there to help with uh like cartography mm. i i truly it's it is it's it's one of the weirder things in star trek hmm. yeah it's it's heard in like a background line in um we'll always have paris okay because I just looked this up right now. And I'm like, I know it was on, it was an on-screen reference that like writers were just like, the fuck? Okay, so the so the two that are shown in lower decks are just beluga whales. Yeah. yeah. We are so far off topic. Um so anyways. <laughs> we're we're rewinding yeah. here. Zaps was just play a rewind noise. Diane Duane. Spool that tape. Um, so Diane Duane did a series of Romulan novels, which um, start with the book called My Enemy, My Ally, um, which is about the Romulan commander that wanted to bone Spock, <laughs> who, def- who, oh, watch the Enterprise incident, Jude. It's going to be fun. Okay. But basically, like, Romulan commander gets down bad for Spock, gets captured by the Enterprise, but basically involves her turning turncoat on the Empire and teaming up with the Enterprise to, like, steal something, to, like, stop a super weapon. I, I don't remember most of it. I read it in high school. But one of the things that it does is it sets this idea of Romulans as having an, a very a very convoluted and complex honor system, which is basically, like, that there are, conf- that basically it's a conflicting duty between what your duty is and what your responsibility is to, like, the Empire your family, your own personal sense of honor and stuff. And this is mostly inspired by the Romulan commander 
from this episode of Balance of Terror and why a dude who is like a relative seems to be like relatively pacifist and friendly is still willing to carry out this horrible order Mm -hmm. and basically try to provoke a war. And I just find it so fascinating that we get here and we get that and we get that repeat of the Roman commander who is played by I mean, the only thing wrong with this episode, in my opinion, is that they did not get James Freen to play the Romulan commander, <laughs> uh, who plays Sarek in Discovery. Oh, gotcha. yeah, that would be great. Because because the Romulan commander in Balance of Terror was played by Mark Leonard, who played Sarek. Yes. That would have been well done. That would have been very funny. I can see why you don't do that now. <laughs> yeah. Because it's like that would have been that's that's a level of joke that like is too stupid to do that. <laughs> it would have to be like people would have to be in on the joke that if somebody were watching it without having seen all of all of the Sarek and Balance of Terror stuff, they would be like, the fuck? Yeah, exactly. Um I think it would have been funny, but that's that's entire like I know the reasons why you don't do that. But like in both the original episode and here, the Rhineland commander, you know, like even in both times, he says, "In another life, I could have called you friend." And like and like you see, he sees something in both Pike and Kirk that he can relate to, which I find so fascinating. And the uh, he has the same line in both of the "We are creatures of duty, you and I." Yeah. Ah, oh, I really like. Really, I think this might be one of my favorite episodes of the season. It's hard to like figure out. Like, I mean, this is a real- season that has literally one episode that's not an absolute banger. Yeah, and like, it has one episode that's like a six, and the rest are all eights and above. Which, like, dang. in my opinion, and there are so it's a ten episode season. It's got one six, and I would say it's got at least th- three nine plus episodes, P- potential ten episodes. Yeah. Like this episode is is, is a ten for me. Uh, mm. Spock Amuck <laughs> is probably a ten. I, I, how do you not give a ten to like so many of these episodes are just joyful and horny, and like how do you not give a ten to some of these episodes? Yeah, I mean, like if we're if we're we're, we're judging it on a very specific curve, yeah, so. yeah, but they're good. <laughs> yeah. I mean. Yeah, they are. This episode is not joyful and not nece- not horny in the normal ways, but <laughs> it's brilliant and it, it interrogates Star Trek history and Pike's fate in a way that is absolutely bang on. And, you know. And this episode, I think, really, really is some of the height of um, one of the things I love about the show, which is the attention to detail without obsession with detail. I was just going to say, uh, because they've got stuff like Uhura's wearing the same earrings down to like the way they light some of the characters sometimes. Yeah. It's so lovingly calling back to that episode without being slavish. There's another original series episode where Spock is up in that exact same Jeffrey's tube, fixing that same goddamn phaser. And nearly dies. <laughs> oh, oh, speaking of that tube. Oh, you mean where we get a little. Do you want to, do you want to address the elephants in the room, Captain? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I read a great interview where they were like, I mean, yeah, we got to we, we have to address the fact that the, that the Enterprise needs an engineer. So we just had somebody do a passable Scottish accent and shout it from That's the bottom so of the funny. tube. That's oh my god! Because so they funny. asked him, like, "Did you cast someone for Scotty?" They're like, "God, no!" Like, maybe someday we'll get there, but no, we just had somebody shout Scott a bad a bad Scotty impression at the bottom of the tube. He said That's that it was a great so Scotty impression. It was, I mean, yeah, it was spot on. My last comment about the compare about uh, Balance of Terror is that Bones is a fucking grouchy bitch in that episode. And I'm starting to pick up on the fact that that's just Bones. Because you have to understand, my first exposure to Bones is Aimer. Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Carl Urban. Carl Urban. is honestly the perfect person. Yeah, who plays a great Bones. But I have to admit, 
wasn't paying attention to his delivery of the lines most of he the gets time. The, he he so, has the mannerisms, but not the attitude. Yeah, he does. But... Uh, very much so. They definitely, like, polished to the curves, the, polished some of the, the rough bits off yeah. it. Because, like, in this episode, like... They're talking about like a potential war and all Bones can do is like, you better not let someone die, you butthole. And Kirk is just like, will you get off my ass, you fucking cranky old man? <laughs> it's great. Uh, I, I love what a butthole Bones is. He's such, he's just such a crank. It's great. One of the things that I have to say that the Star Trek, uh, the Star Trek franchise as a whole has been very blessed with is some excellent recastings. Like Carl Urban's Dr. McCoy is maybe like the third best franchise role Carl Urban's yeah. had, but it's still, <laughs> yeah. And, but it's still just absolutely perfect. Yeah. yeah. And like we, we've had, we've had two recastings of her and both are perfect. <laughs> uh, I would, I mean, I I, lo- I love I love uh, Saldana in that sense. I I think it's a I I love that actress. I don't love how she's written. And I think I love how she's written. But I think as a it depends on what you mean as like a recasting. If you're looking to like reinterpret the material, mm-hmm. I think she's great. As a recast, I would say pretty much no. my entirety of my opinions of like the recast Star Trek series is just Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I have, you know, I just limit myself to that one because that's the only one, the only one I can enjoy. You know that I have like nuanced feelings about like the, about like reinterpretations and and remakes and stuff. And I think she does that role is great. And I love that actress, but I don't, I think it's a great reinterpretation, but not a great recast. Whereas I think Ethan Peck is a great recast because while he's making the role his own, he's not reinterpreting the role. He's living the role in a new way, in, in his own, in his way, but he's still very much living that original role. I'm the opposite on, um, Zoe Saldana, right? Zoe Saldana, Uh, yeah. yeah. As Ahura, which is that I really love her acting in it, but I feel like they gave her pretty weak material to work with yeah yeah i mean like generally generally like i'm like i'm about like the energy of the performance and like and the and like how they're doing it i think that there is especially in those first two films and you haven't seen some of the like really snarky uhura that's in original series and i'm looking forward to you getting to that yeah no i don't think that the the i don't think any of the uh re of the of the whatever you call it, the Kelvin verse movies are particularly well written. Except for beyond. I think beyond is great. Except for beyond because it's written because it's written like a Star Trek two part. Yeah. But I think what it is, what I do think they, that she has is I like the way that they reinterpret that character. And mm-hmm. even if they don't give her a lot of good lines to work with, I like that the way, the way that they interpret it and the same way with bones where I, I think they, Carl Urban just nails that the, the mannerisms of that character, even if they don't give him the same kind of, role on the ship i I like his care like the way he reinterprets the that character we have got to wrap this episode up (laughs) yeah um the one last thing that i want to that i want to point out for this one just as a little funny thing is that like spock is the one who like says like oh yeah we should as one of the people pushing for a preemptive strike on Uh, the episode, which I thought was a fun little reference to discovery in the first episode they talk about the vulcan below which is uh, the the Vulcan diplomatic policy for digging with Klingons, which was after a botched first contact, it was always shoot first with Klingons. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that like you know if we if you hit them across the nose, they're gonna go running. And and that's actually that's actually also both of those are true to what Spock says in Balance of Terror, which is like fucking take yeah. them out, Jim. <laughs> Basically. Yep. Um, which is, is great. I do want to talk at least like very briefly about Ortegas as the, yeah. as the, let's call her the anti-Spock, right? That. Yeah. She, she is the war hawk in the room. Yeah. Which I think is, I acknowledge was con- a lot in the fan community was kind of controversial, but I think it's nicely done. I think it's, I think it's a thing you can easily say 
It's been seven years. We don't know what's happened since then. And failing all else, if you're trying to recreate the spirit of that episode, you need somebody on the bridge to do that. And if you have to introduce a new character, that's going to take too much time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say that her kind of bigotry towards Spock as you know looking similar to the Romulans, because we needed that was also something that was necessary to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. To maintain that parallel that. On the one hand, that doesn't seem particularly true to the character as we've seen her. But on the other hand, do we ever see her interact meaningfully with Spock? Uh, Not Tom. To the best of my knowledge, the the most we know about Ortegas and Vulcans is that she's been hit with a litterpa. Yeah. So So we haven't seen the two of them interact very much. Um, uh, She interacted with Spock's body while his fiance was in it. Does that count? Gosh, um, I mean, yeah, it's like they haven't had a lot of meaningful interaction. Yeah. I think it's yeah. So, I so think, it wasn't like a dramatic reversal of like them being buddy buddy in no. the in the main thing going to yeah. like, well, you you both have pointy ears and therefore you're a traitor. Yeah, no, I think one one line I noticed is that they cut out is that they they dropped out her the line about like there might be traitors on board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and instead she. They just made her more of a more war hawkish. And I like that because I think Ortegas is uh, arguably on the bridge, the most military person on the bridge. She's the pilot. She's the Mm -hmm. the one she's the one that like has them, you know, named a maneuver after herself. And (laughs) she's the hotshot. And it it tracks to me that if the Federation has slid into a warlike stance over seven years that she would she would be the one that that might show some of those changes. I mean, or it might just be that, like, she's had personal development in that time. Um, or, I mean, it could just be that, like, maybe like Lieutenant Stiles in the original episode, she's got family history with the wrong yeah. ones. Yeah, we don't know. Uh, what we do know, what we do know, if I can close this out, is that uh, Ortegas's actress, Melissa Navia, is uh, an absolute gift on Twitter. <laughs> and if you do not follow her on Twitter, uh, if you dip your toe into that absolute cesspool, uh, please do. Uh, she absolutely goes toe to toe with every fucking idiot that steps to her and uh, is just charming. Uh, really great. A lot of fun to follow. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend it. So one last thing I want to talk about, like in the season is like, we do have a lot of, like this season wraps up very nicely. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of like a lot of the personal plots are wrapped up pretty neatly. Uh, but there are, I believe yeah, we'll say uh, two that are still hanging for us to end this season. There is whatever the frick on is going to be doing mm-hmm. uh, off. I assume that we're going to get a time skip or something and we got to get number one out of jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're gonna see how that goes. I guess. Yeah, I imagine that's going to be the top of the of the next season. We've we've also got Spock unleashing his emotions. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Which will be which will be really fun to continue exploring. If he doesn't bone down on Chapel, <laughs> just get just let me just 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 don't don't disabuse me. I, I will not of your. I will not disabuse you of this notion. I'm just going to go open Ao3. I, but what I will, but I will disabuse you of is the notion that there are going to be more episodes this season. Fuck you, and that <laughs> and that we have anything more to cover with this uh, season of Strange New Pods. It's been a delight. The good news is, is that there is more coming, and it's already been filmed. Yeah. So they can't take it away from us. <laughs> That's true. I say looking at the Batgirl movie. I, I'm just I'm just hoping that the show goes the distance and we get like seven goddamn seasons. I want this show to make a record and have more seasons. What is the maximum number of seasons this show can have realistically? Um I think it's if you're doing if you're doing like the the the, the internal chronology of one season a year. You can go to seven before it is Kirk takes command. Yeah, but you don't have to do that. You could have like three seasons in one year. I mean, yeah, but that's how Star Trek typically does it. That's what I, that's what I like. Yeah. Okay. So I want a minimum of seven seasons. Okay. <laughs> seven seasons and at least in a movie. one movie. Yeah. And at least one movie. That's what I want. 
All right. Look, they gave us that nonsense TNG movie with the boar queen and the the drunk guy. How dare in, you! First contact like, is great. It has the best <laughs> first. Con- it has it has the greatest line in Star Trek in Star Trek movie history. Assimilate this. <laughs> it's it's a dumb Star Trek. It's a dumb action movie in space, and I love it. We, we, that one also gives us the the We're, joy. We of- gonna we gonna have to agree to disagree because that movie. Uh, it's the only good next generation movie. I I'm totally I totally agree with you. That's a low bar, my friend. <laughs> I mean, the only other content- the contenders are Generations, First Contact, Insurrection, Nemesis. And I ain't seeing Insurrection. I ain't saying Generation. And I ain't saying Nemesis. <laughs> I, okay. I would rather watch Nemesis. Friendship first ended, contact. June. Nah. Friendship ended. I'm, okay. So, now that we have, uh... Now that we've perfectly ended our, our love of we, we've like completely trashed yourself over uh, Star Trek opinions, um, we're going back to person of interest, or maybe we already have, and this got put it on an off week. But um, you know what? Until season two, we might do more Star Trek stuff. It's been fun. Um, it's that thing of hey, remember when we said we weren't going to make a Star Trek podcast? <laughs> yeah, we lied, bitch. <laughs> um. That's the power that that is the power of Captain Pike. So, I mean, like it's we might do a bad pod movie. We might do more Star Trek episodes of the original series or something. But until next time, whatever that might be. Hit it. Strange New Pods is a limited-run series by The Babylon Project, a member of the OKSO Network. All views expressed are our own. Music credits can be found in the show notes. Wear life gloriously.